Good morning. This is Jim Colburn of Commodity Research Group. I'm here with Andy LeBeau, also of Commodity Research Group, and we're here to talk about energy markets. To learn more about us, you can check out our website, commodityresearchgroup.com, where we post our podcasts and our blog. We'd like to thank our friends at EKT Interactive Oil and Gas Training for hosting this podcast. Check out their newsletters, podcasts, and learning modules at ektinteractive.com. This podcast should be construed as market commentary, merely observing economic, political, and market conditions, and is not intended to refer to or endorse any particular trading system, strategy, or recommendation. We're not responsible for trading decisions taken by anyone. Information is not guaranteed to be accurate. This is not an offer to buy or sell any derivative. Today is uh, May 12th, uh, morning of May 12th, and good morning, Andy LeBeau. Good morning, Jim Colburn. Let's, uh, I think we should start right from the get-go. Let's talk about Russia. The number that, the consensus number seems to be that when it's all said and done, three uh, million barrels of oil will be taken off the market. Can you give us an update on where you are on uh, Russian oil exports and products? Yeah, it's... uh... Three, yeah, three million barrels a day. The IEA today, uh, this came out uh, this morning, came out with their own change, really, in, in what they thought on uh, Russian production. Uh, originally, they, they had thought that by the end of April, it will be down one and a half million barrels a day. And now they're saying uh, it's probably closer to uh, a million barrels a day. Uh, they think that will increase to 2 million barrels a day as we get through the second quarter and sometime later in the second quarter or into the third quarter, depending on if there's an EU embargo or not, uh, Russian production will be down by uh, 3 million barrels a day. So I, I think that 3 million barrels a day number is, is still good, but it's gonna, it looks like it's going to take uh, some time. And um, the EIA had them down by uh, 2 million barrels a day later, the, you know, second half of this year. Uh, and OPEC, uh, whose report came out also this morning, has Russian production down just a million barrels a day. But uh, of course, let's remember that uh, Russia is part of the uh, OPEC plus, you know, part of the OPEC plus cartel. So some of those numbers uh, may not be 100% accurate. Let's put it that. Let's put it that way, Jim, because uh, I think a million barrels a day is is uh, too low, actually, for the for the rest of the year. Because you know the the uh, EU is it, it looks like they're moving towards some kind of uh, some kind of embargo. You know that there's still some negotiating uh, negotiating taking place, but um, you know, I think our base case actually has a uh, has a European embargo sometime later in the second quarter, and um, you know, I think the IEA is the same. You know, is looking at the same the same things. Well, there's also uh, some of the trading companies um, aren't willing to move Russian barrels as well. So it's not just coming from the governments; it's coming from the private sector as well. Right. There's, there's uh, self-sanctioning and, and the uh, governments. It's interesting that uh, the IEA actually said that uh, Russian crude, that exports, oil exports increased 
in uh, increased, significant, increased in April uh, as some of these contracts come to an end and Russia wants to get all they can out of the country to get as, to get as much revenue as, uh, as possible as, uh, you know, they too can, you know, they, they too could read the, the, the tea leaves on what's happening with the uh, EU. So they, they actually had uh, high exports in uh, April, but uh, beginning in uh, May, those are going to be cut uh, pretty dramatically. We're, in, we're almost in mid-May and uh, into June will be, will be cut further. So I, I, I think the, the IEA numbers are, are good. And as I said, that's, that's pretty much what we've been, uh, what we've been working, working with. And, I, and that's what's in the market as well. Yeah, I think that's what the, what's in the market uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, probably anywhere between the two and three million barrels a day mark. But I think I think most uh, analysts and traders are probably closer to uh, three million barrels a day. And let's just um, take these one by one. Uh, let's talk. Let's move over to China. What's what? What is your update on uh, the demand for? Oil and products from China, given there. Well, China, China uh, petroleum demand at the beginning of the year was, uh, you know, we had them up like 0.6, which I think was close to the consensus. Some higher, some lower, you know, growth in demand, owing to the lockdowns, and they're owing to the lockdowns as well as um, the slowing of uh, manufacturing, um, distribution, and uh, exports, you know, we, we pretty much cut that to um, unchanged to up 0.2. So, you know, loss of at least 0.4 million barrels a day on, on uh, growth for uh, this next year. Now, they are, there, there is a stimulus package coming. Maybe that will help. But, uh, you know, Jim, it wouldn't surprise me to see China be unchanged, maybe even lower than, uh, you know, than last year's demand. It, I mean, the uncertainty is when do they come out of lockout? Right. 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 So and, and how hard, you know, how hard they can come out of uh, lockdown on, on the demand lockdown. side. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's just uh, we are you more confident with what's going to happen with Russian oil than, than you are with China demand or are they both lots of, I think they're both, I think they're both, uh, uh, covered with uncertainty. You know, I think they're both, uh, you know, the, the numbers are, are moving targets. I'm pretty confident on the, you know, China may, you know, maybe it'll come up a couple of hundred thousand barrels a day. You know, that, you know, your Delta isn't as great there. I don't think it's going to end up being up, you know, demand for this whole year being up a million barrels a day, anything like that. The Russian number, of course, is, uh, you know, there's a geopolitical factor with, with what happens with the, uh, you know, on the, on the EU. So that, that number can, can really swing. And also what happens to uh, Asian buyers. Obviously, China is not, is not, their import numbers are way down, so they're, they're not taking you know, that, that extra Russian that, uh, well, they're taking some, of course, but not, not anywhere near uh, probably what the Russians had hoped. And I think the EIA says something, they, they say we're in a heightened period of uncertainty, which um, I think they say every, every month since uh, beginning of COVID, 
it's saying that. It's tough being an analyst these days. It, it is. I, I think these, uh, you know, these, as we've been, we've been saying since the beginning of COVID, you know, these balances are kind of hard to, you know, get, get right. Um, or even, or even close to it. You know, I, I think we've been doing our best and we've been updating them, you know, more than, you know, more than one, more than a few times a, a quarter, you know, right. Or, you know, usually I would update them monthly or, you know, if there were big changes, but now it's just about every other day, really. <laughs> I know it's unbelievable. Um, so we, we, we probably should talk about uh, product demand and, and prices, the cracks, uh, the, the prices themselves are going wild. The cracks, I guess, are at record levels. You, you want to take gasoline first? Well, uh, yeah. Uh, gasoline, if you, if you look at the last EIA weekly report, gasoline has now dipped below, inventories have now dipped below the uh, five-year uh, pre-pandemic, the 2015 to 2019 levels. And uh, you look at what's been going on in the front of the curve, you know, we're, we're at a big uh, backwardation now. So, you know that that's indicative of a, of a of a tight supply, and certainly stocks in in the on the East Coast uh, have continued to decline over the last few weeks, um, despite the fact that uh, pump prices are record. Demand for gasoline is um, actually it, it's okay. I get I, well, it's not that great. I mean, demand for gasoline is the four week average is eight point eight million barrels a day. If you look at that 2015 to 2019 number, Jim, mm -hmm. that's 9.3 million barrels a day. So the, you know, because of the pandemic, or one of the reasons uh, we've lost half a million barrels a day of, of uh, gasoline demand. Now you had some interesting numbers on the uh, gasoline demand momentum, yeah. which seems to be seems to be slowing here. Yeah, I, I looked at the uh, same the weekly numbers. This this came out yesterday. And I looked at uh, all the demand components, and it, and it looks it looks like uh, momentum is slowing down, and I you know, pr you know, price rations use is is what the saying is. And if you look at gasoline, the the four week average is eight eight, as you said, that's down one point four percent from last year, but the year to date number, uh, so that's that's actually up three point one percent from last year so clearly a, a loss of uh, momentum and again that's not that's not picking up any seasonality that's comparing year on year and um we we have the same thing going on in a lot of a lot of the categories from that uh, weekly report distillate up 2.1 year to date but four week average down 5.5 percent and this is year on year the other the other one i would mention is uh, jet fuel Jet fuels up year to date up 28% and four week average up 27%. So not that that's maintaining its uh its strength from from last year. But but gasoline and distillate looks like a loss of uh of momentum. And, and that's not surprising given that given that we have record pump prices on both. I mean, diesel prices are through the through the roof. So um 
if a refiner came to you and said, we want to hedge second half cracks, what would you say to them? I would say, uh, yeah, I would look at, at uh, hedging second half cracks for, for sure. Now, the, the cracks have come off, at least the front just came off in the last two days. They were closer. They were like mid 60s, which is an incredible number for uh, diesel cracks in the, in the front of the curve. The back is still pretty healthy. So if a refiner came to me and, and said, you know, do, would you be looking at, at hedging these cracks? I would say absolutely. But uh, given the fact that I think there's still some upside here on, uh, on diesel, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be hedging uh, their entire run. In fact, I'd probably be looking at hedging maybe, you know, I think 10 to 20% is the is the right number, Jim? I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I, um, but, I was coming in around ten percent. I, I mean, we we're kind of these cracks have just exploded, and and um, you know we 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 learned from the nickel market that you know you, when you're hedging, you 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 uh, inject some uh, cash flow issues. So you you sell far out along the curve, and the hedge goes against you. You have to come up with margin money, and you don't get the benefit of those higher prices because you're, you're not, you know, you're selling the amount of stuff you, you're hedging more barrels than, than product that you're selling every day. So you're, so you get this cash flow problem. Uh, and we saw that in extreme in nickel, but it happens in other markets as well. So I, yeah, so I was saying little with the, with the ability, I mean, this thing's going ballistic already continue to go, um, I would say 10% and then kind of uh, ratchet it in there a little layer it in there, uh, be, but be very conservative hedging. And the other, there you, the other part is, like you said, I, it might not be over, but it doesn't just because it doesn't keep making new highs doesn't mean it's going to collapse either. So I don't know, you know, you probably, probably these cracks would probably be good for a while. I mean, yeah, I, th I think so. I mean, it, it, you look at pad one diesel stocks, they're at the lowest since 1990. And, you know, maybe, maybe before that, I don't, I don't have the data for before 1990. But, and it, it, you know, the question is, where is the resupply coming from? You know, a lot of the Gulf Coast, the Gulf Coast diesel is moving to Europe and South America. In pad one, we have lost a significant amount of refinery capacity. So we're gonna, it's going to have to come from Gulf Coast refiners are going to ramp it up some more. Um, any spare capacity of the East Coast is going to be ramped up. And Europe is, you know, they, they've certainly got their, their own issues. And, you know, imports of uh, diesel have been, uh, distillates are, are awfully low right now. You know, they, they may pick up some. I mean, the ARB is open, but it's a question of, getting, um, you know, getting boats and insurance, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the Russian exports are uh, for diesel is a million barrels a day. So that, that's a big loss of, for the global market. Uh, what has to happen is product has to move from uh, east to west from, uh, we've got to see more exports from Asia into Europe help to fill Europe and then maybe get the overflow here, uh, which, you know, that's going to take time. So there's certainly a window open for these cracks to remain 
pretty strong, but you don't want to miss it either. Right. right? You, yeah, but, you don't want to miss it either. Well, so, that's right. You're, you're locking in incredible numbers right now by hedging. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. You, you got to get some off. Yeah. And then, you, you know, you never want to hedge too much because, you know, what if your refinery goes down Then <laughs> you, then you, uh, and, and the, you know, the markets, you're, you're losing money on your hedges and you can't make it up with products. So um, that's a problem too. You'd love to be buying puts, but there's no viable put market in cracks. We, we traded it uh, back in the day. Like I remember 2001, people had some, were trading some crack uh, options, but it, it tended to be uh, one flow, like uh, put buyers and call sellers and the market makers, um, I don't think felt comfortable having you know, not having two-way, two-way paper flow, buyers and sellers coming in. Um, so, you know, there were less and less market makers and le- got less and less interest. So it hasn't, hasn't been a viable market. I'm not, I wonder if you could buy a put on sort of a, a uh, bunch of refiners, you know, you buy puts on their stocks, but that, you know, you, you, you couldn't buy, if you're a refiner, you can't buy, it doesn't make sense to buy puts on your own stock. But, you know, I'm just thinking about how you would hedge this by buying puts, which would be the best way, I think, because then you, if the market roars up, you don't, you're okay. You just, you locked in a worst case price and you know, yeah, yeah you know, so. But, but the worst case price is pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. That's right. That's right. So it's like a, you, yeah, done, it's like oil, yeah, oil producers. If the market goes down, at least you got, you got some of that. You know, of course, there's also the, the question of what your shareholders want you to do. You know, yes. they're not comfortable with you with you um, taking some, uh, you know, taking some risk off the table on your refinery run. You know, and, and let's move over to gasoline. We're heading into this. We're heading into the season. As, as I mentioned, uh, we're now below the, um, you know, below the five year average by 10 million barrels. And given the, the backwardation in gasoline, you know, this is in, indicative that things are tightening up. So do you hedge? some of your gasoline run as well. These numbers are good for gasoline all down the, you know, a $50 crack in the front for gasoline. You know, refiners used to be ecstatic $20 cracks, you know, $20 yeah. gasoline cracks were, were awesome. So my, my answer would be, yeah, I'd probably take a look at, you know, hedging some of that too. Maybe not as much as the diesel, but yeah. The three, two ones are back. The three, two, ones are back. Yeah. Uh, Jim, so, they're 50 bucks. I know. It's unbelievable. Crazy. Yeah. We, we had a, uh, we had a zoom cast with some of our refiner friends and, and we asked them, um, you know, if, if, what part of the oil business would you like to be in right now? And they all said, we'd like to be refiners. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, is, so is if you are always the answer, right? What's that? That's not always the answer. No. It's like, oh, we don't even want to be in this business. But yeah. if we had to, yeah, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, you're, 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 losing, you're losing money per barrel, but you're going to make it up on volume, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, anyway, uh, going forward, if you are a refiner, are you making more distillate during the gas season than you normally do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the crack told you to make more, uh, to, to make more diesel. And that's another bullish factor for, uh, for gasoline. 
you know, you'd expect that the yields in this country is, is going to be, you know, switch to uh, diesel and uh, at the expense of, at the expense of gasoline. So if we do have any kind of booming uh, gas demand this summer, you know, it, it could be an issue. Now I'm looking at the EIA's view for uh, gasoline demand this summer, let's say Q2 and Q3. It's, it, they're not looking for all that much growth. They, they, last year, Q2 and Q3 were about 9.1 million barrels a day. And uh, this year, they're, they're looking at 9.12, so almost no growth from uh, last year. Uh, mm. And that could, be a, that could be a price effect. Maybe it's an imp- income effect, uh, an inflation effect. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but that, uh, you know, that roaring gasoline season may, may not come completely to, to pass this year. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned inflation. The uh, economists are getting uh, whacked a little bit for looking at the core rates. <laughs> As people were saying, wait a second, you're taking food and energy out of the CPI. <laughs> and yeah, right. We, that's that's our big that's our big expense. Right. Should, should we take that out of our <laughs> right, yeah. out of our pockets? Right. Should we not eat or drive? Yeah, it's, I, I don't understand that when they talk about the real price of oil. And they use a CPI to sort of, you know, get get in, you know, nineteen sixty dollars or seventy eighty dollars, whatever they talk about. It's a big component of oil in that CPI, so you're kind of dividing it by itself. And it must be a better way to look at that. But anyway, still a lot to talk about, Andy. So that, so those are kind of some major issues. Let's go back to talk about your uh, uh, stock levels. I th- I think um, a lot of people had builds in global stock levels for the second half of the year and and now it you know you get uh, more of a balanced look to the market and you you had some you had a surplus but um, why don't you update us on what what your thinking is with global stock levels yeah I had a um, you know I, I had a surplus uh, which I've lowered just a little bit but uh, for 2022, I see a, a global stock build of, of only of 330,000 barrels a day, Jim, which is really balanced. You know, the, the, question, the question, of course, is will the, the, the loss of 3 million barrels a day be covered? And the answer is yes, it will be. OPEC production is going to be on the rise. Non-OPEC production, ex-Russia, is going to be on the rise, and um, we're getting SP we're getting SPR barrels. Plus, there's the loss of demand. So you know we have demand down. Uh, demand from the beginning of the year we've we've marked it down by 1.3 million barrels a day, uh, which is exactly what the IEA did. So uh, mine was done before the IEA. <laughs> um, and I think. You know, you you look at these balances, and yeah, we're tightly balanced, uh, which is uh, leave, you know leaves you to err on on uh, either either side. If you look at the EIA numbers, uh, which came out the short term energy outlook, they too have a build of three hundred thousand. 
just look at that now. So that, you know, again, very tightly balanced and OPEC is basically unchanged for, for the year. Uh, second quarter looks like it's going to, to me, I've got a build of uh, 600,000 and the other guys are all around, you know, OPEC and the EIA uh, are up around 700,000. So it looks like second quarter, we should be seeing some um, modest stock builds here, which will certainly help rebuild inventories somewhat. We're still way too low. Right. Um, but, you know, you look at the, you look at these builds, I think it's, it's hard. And, and we've been saying this, I know for in our monthly reports and also, uh, you know, on these, on these podcasts, you know, to me, it, it's hard to see the market really, unless something changes dramatically, you know, I, I just don't see the market exploding on the upside. You know, we've been in a, a broad trading range over the last few weeks between um, let's say 115 and 92, a big trading range. And then just in the last six days, we've been between 111 and, and 92. But I kind of think that's the, that's the range for now. And I'd be, you know, I'd be more bearish, uh, slightly more bearish than, uh, than bullish. Well, but, um, interesting you uh, bring up trading ranges. The um, that'll introduce me to just a little options chat. But um, I think the, was it the EIA? Uh, I saying Brent range $42 in March, $17 in April. And we saw that in in volatilities in, in March on the on the high price of the was it March eighth or ninth something like that the high price was uh, we we got over a hundred percent implied vol in the front month second month was only up around seventy five percent I believe and and now we've been going between uh, fifty and sixty uh, June uh, expires on the seventeenth pretty soon that fifty three percent just sold off. Uh, yesterday and July is at 54.6. So, you know, they're, they're down, they're up from, you know, I still use a long-term average around 33%. So they're, you know, up from that, uh, but way down from, from last month and kind of, you know, it's saying there's, there's still a lot going on in this marketplace, but the actual price movements are, are less than what they were last month, much, much calmer. The call volume, we still see, so, so the, uh, the volumes also collapsed. Uh, in April, WTI options trade around 95,000 a day, and that was down 44% uh, from March. So, you, so we, we talked about that before where, you know, for a year people were, you know, gearing up for this rally in crude, and then they get, and, you know, they get this uh, Russian invasion, and it was a lot massive uh, profit taking and liquidation. And we do see flurries of bullish activity um, when prices dip. Um, we'll, we'll see like a, a big call day, you know, and, uh, but, but overall, uh, even in April, the, the volume seemed to be um, subdued and uh, we've lost a lot of, uh, you know, players, I know probably temporarily, but because of, you know, as, as we've been talking so far, the uncertainty in the marketplace, it's, we've, we've reached uh, a level of uncertainty to reduce, reduce the trading, I guess, is what, what I'm trying to say here. The, 
our famous DS2200 call still is uh, number one as 51,000. But I, if I recall that that was up, or that open interest was up to 75,000. So that's, that's been, um, you know, trading. It hasn't been the top traded option, uh, but it has been, uh, uh, somebody's been liquidating positions in there. And then the, um, in Brent, the biggest call open interest is the DS150 call about 43,000. They also have a DS55 put was 40 around 42,000, but I think that's, you know, a lot of the Mexican hedges going into the Brent market. So that might be part of that. Um, I think it was from a long time ago, put on a long time ago. So, but other, other than that, the, 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 um, again, the, the, the market, the option market subdued and we're just, uh, I, I, I guess I, I try to look at the Gulf War, where the price, the volatility got over 100% on a price move up, some, some, you know, it was both wartime. And what happened, what we started to see was the market would churn around, you know, move sideways, still have some big trading days, like uh, price moves, but overall it wasn't, wasn't gaining any ground. And you'd see the, the uh, people who had bought options to play the volatility as, as that option became front month or became, you know, just a, maybe a couple of weeks to go, they'd start liquidating it and, and go out and buy something along the curve. So they wanted to stay long options, but they didn't want to get hit with time decay. So you start to see implied vol in the front month collapse, like two with two weeks to go uh, on the second month. And we're, we haven't seen that yet, but uh, yesterday's settlements, June settled under July, 53% versus 54.6. So maybe, maybe if we keep churning this market, you know, going forward, we'll see more of that kind of activity. So, the, so basically vol staying around 50%, but as we get closer to expiration, the uh, front month collapses, maybe two, two and a half weeks out. Anyway, uh, so what else we want to talk about, Andy? We covered a well, lot here. here. Here's a question. So we're, you know, we're talking about ranges and uh, would you, and vol coming off. Now, would you sell those ranges? Would you would you sell a, a call in a you know let, let's say a one twenty ninety? I, I don't even know what what value that would be. But would would you sell that type of trading range? Well, to, I, my my approach is always to look for markets that are low volatility moving to high volatility. I think that's the way to go. This one, unless, you know, it's extreme. And, and I would say, mate, if you, if you do that, just do it very lightly, you know, in terms of right. your portfolio trades, it's, it's probably going to, it's kind of probably going to be okay, but you won't. And then, you know, it's not only a risk reward, but you know, do you want to sleep at night? That's kind of thing. You want to, you, you, you're probably going to f focus on that more than what it's worth. So, yeah, but it's well, probably, uh, it probably, yeah. it, well, I, I totally um, agree. I, I just wanted to lay you up with that one. Yeah, uh, no, I just, it's not, listen, I, the way I learned options, I, I saw, um, I had, I was a broker for Merrill Lynch and I had these two speculative clients and we were very bold. This is back in the eighties, mid eighties. And, and, and um, we were bullish the, the stock market, very bullish. 
and one guy buys futures and the other guy buys uh, like a handful of out of the money calls. And the first move the market made was dipping lower, stopped the guy, futures guy out and the um, guy with the calls doesn't budge. And the market turns around and goes higher. And for like three days, I tried to get this guy back into his futures position, but he wouldn't budge because he didn't want to buy above where he sold it. It was this, yeah. this uh, you know, uh, psychological barrier. And meanwhile, these the, the stock market went up like for the next couple of weeks. And this guy, the, the, the calls went deep in the money. And we started selling. We we picked the top, and we sold five futures against the the market where where it was. And in a couple of days, it came down, and we bought them back, and it went up again. And we we did this like three or four times. And and the guy was, you know, he's, he was ecstatic. He said, "I never made all this money." Anyway, he never made this money in his life. But it it it, it was my first sort of entree into options, and and it, so it's my bias. And I think it's served me well is to be on the long side of buying of options, not the sell side. But I, I, yeah, which I know because you've been in all the presentations and, and all the teaching that you've done on uh, options that that really has been a, a theme of yours that, uh, you know, buy, buying options uh is is in, in many ways you know better than than selling options yes so. it's, and, and you know in markets it's never 100 percent. i mean a lot of the oil companies you know they have assets they can sell calls against or you know but they also have they have optionality in their in their assets in their daily business the way they conduct business so um they're basically long options just by the nature of the business. And, and so, you know, to monetize them, sometimes you, you sell options or you, you do a delta hedging uh, technique that uh, you, you trade your gamma basically against it. So it's kind of like monetizing uh, uh, a long option. And, and so, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not so, I'm not dogmatic on it. I'm just saying it, it's, it's my bias. I'd rather be a buyer of options than a seller. Right. Right, 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 right. Especially right. In this world, holy cow! Oh, it's like one. You know, you can't. We can't go to kids anymore and say, "Oh, when I was a kid, you you guys don't know anything." It's uh, I, well, I used to. Yep. Yeah, I, I think a lot of a lot of investors are, uh, you know, now being confronted with uh, a lot of new investors are now being confronted with uh, worlds that. Uh, you know, they just had no idea about inflation being certainly one one of them. I mean, we're talking about a generation type uh, inflationary move, and of course, what's gone on in the oil market in the last since you know in the last since the pandemic is is uh, historical. So yeah, and that and that there's evil in the world. Yeah, you know? there's, there's there's evil in the world. Yeah, um, so which we we unfortunately you know, as just following the oil market have, have learned too often, I'm afraid. And, uh, Andy, any, we, we talked, anything that we missed that you want to, you want to talk no, I about? Think we did a, I think we did a pretty good job covering, uh, you know, the, I'm sure that we've missed plenty, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think, I think we've covered a lot, a lot of ground here. But you don't want to talk about Mars spreads? No. 
I wouldn't mind talking about the Boston Celtics, but oh, I, don't, I don't think. <laughs> okay, <laughs> with that, Andy, uh, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Yeah. We get to wrap up. Yeah, just just the Celtics just lost uh, Game Five to the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm a big Celtic fan, but well, Andy's a Nick fan. That's, can't even bring. Right, that up. I have nothing to talk about. Yeah. All I'm living for is rooting against the Celtics. So it's, it's, it's sports like many Nick fans. Sports hate. Yeah, very good. Okay, Andy. We'll talk to you next. I'll talk to you sooner than next month, but our next podcast is scheduled for next month. We try to do them once a month. Don't always, uh, based on our, our schedules, we can't always get to it, but um, uh, I'm sure by next month, there'll be lots to talk about in the energy markets. Yeah. Uh, let me just conclude. You can find us, uh, Jim's on LinkedIn, uh, as am I. My, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, I'm at uh, a labo at commodityresearchgroup.com. And uh, we also have uh, a website and uh, we're both available for uh, consulting. Jim is one of the great option teachers ever. I mean, I've <laughs> sat through many of your, I've sat through many of you, the lectures and I still learn something each uh, lecture and he too is, is available for uh, advice and consulting on uh, options and option strategy. All right, Andy, talk to you next month.